Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode eight of True Blue Crime podcast. As always, I will be your host, Dan. And if you have not listened to episode seven, which was the Watts Family Part One, this is not a standalone episode. I will do a brief summary, but it's highly advised that you go back and listen to episode seven before you listen to this one. It'll mostly pick up where we left off in episode seven. But before we get into the episode there, if you haven't done so, check out all the previous episodes, including episode seven of True Blue Crime Podcast on all podcast platforms. If you'd like to get updates about what the podcast is up to, please like and follow the True Blue Crime Productions Facebook page. And more information can be found at the show's website at truebluecrimeproductions.com. If you'd like to email me directly, my email is truebluecrimeproductions at gmail.com. And finally, if you can, please support the show via Patreon. Any donation level helps and it will ensure I can keep making free episodes of the podcast and expand the podcast in the future. Any donations will receive a shout-out in a future podcast and a thank-you message from the host. And for no cost, please rate and review the show on whatever platform you're listening to. It helps other listeners find the show, and I greatly appreciate the time spent doing so. And I'm going to apologize in advance. Uh, apparently we're going through a little thunderstorm here, and... I'm trying to get both these episodes out today, so I'm just going to have to bear with me if there's some background noise of uh, rain coming down here. It's coming down pretty good out there, and my office uh, faces the front of the house, so I'm uh, hearing a lot of rain right now. But anyway, uh, without further ado, let's dive into episode 8 of True Blue Crime. So I'm going to throw out the disclaimer I did last time for episode 7. There are going to be crimes committed against children in this episode i will keep it as non-graphic as possible but i will have to explain what happened to these these little girls so if that is going to upset you or bother you please do not listen to this podcast otherwise feel free to fast forward if we get any parts that do bother you so anyway we're gonna do a brief summary so in episode one we talked about the disappearance of the watts family which was shanann Bella, Cece, and Shanann was pregnant with Nico. We kind of broke down how Chris and Shanann met, and then some of the issues they've had throughout their relationship, including their marriage. And as of the point in which I left episode one, Shanann was going on a business trip to Arizona, and Chris was staying back with the girls. I would like to mention that before she leaves on this trip, or maybe it is on the time that she left at the trip. Some of these were on a very small window of days here, so some of it runs together and depends on which uh, source I looked at. But there was a letter that she wrote, a handwritten letter that she wrote to Chris, and this is one of these kind of the last straw, save the marriage, old-fashioned love note-style letters. And you, the letter was posted online, and you can read through it, and and I did at least read the first page, and in there she's talking about how she doesn't understand how they've become so apart from each other, and she wishes she could change it and just everything could go back to the way it was. She starts to talk about how she wants to make amends with his family because she thinks that will help, but then really quickly she goes into stating that She doesn't know if she can ever really forgive them for what they did. So, again, it's one of these things that, as I said, and I'll throw this disclaimer out there again as well, I'm never trying to blame a victim for what happened to them. What happened to to Shanann was, was terrible. 
but that does not mean I'm not going to talk about or bring up some of the things along the way that I think are relevant to why there's so much discord within their relationship. So I don't know that she ever gave Chris this letter. Uh, I just saw that it was, she had sent photos of the letter to a friend and then the photos of this letter is what ended up online. So I don't know if the letter was, if Chris actually ever received it or not. Obviously he could read it online as, as I did, but she's going to be on this business trip. And while she's on this business trip, it's going to be August 11th. Chris hires a babysitter. He tells Shanann that he's won these tickets to a Rockies game with work friends, something along those lines. And this is all just a, a ruse for him to be able to see Nicole again. So he gets a babysitter and goes out on this date with Nicole. Now, another way that he hid the relationship from Shanann was that at work he would be given gift cards. And it sounded like he got quite a few of these gift cards to various restaurants and entertainment venues and, and stuff. But during the month of July, he blew through all of these gift cards, and so now he has to find a way to make a purchase, and he decides to do that on the on the, one of their shared bank or credit cards. Later on, he would say he knew this was happening, he knew Shanann would find out, so he doesn't know if he did this just to kind of break the ice of everything that was going on. But he definitely orders, or, or he definitely pays for two people's worth of food at this sports bar that he goes to to meet Nicole. And Shanann will end up noticing this. In one article I read, it said that Shanann actually called him out on this, and he tried to explain it away. But ultimately, it's just one more incident in a long line of incidents now that is going to further damage their relationship. So that was August 11th. Technically, Shanann's coming home August 12th, but it's going to be, her plane leaves late on August 12th, so that's why she's not getting in until the early morning hours of August 13th. Now, Christopher claims that she comes, uh, she comes home around that 148 time she comes into bed around 2 a.m. and that she initiates sex with him and they do have sex together and then fall asleep and that his alarm is then gonna go off a few hours later now we come full circle back to the day of the missing persons report this is when Shanann's friend Nicole Atkinson is going to contact the Frederick Police Department and call in a missing persons report. Chris is going to be at work when this happens and is gonna return home. Shortly after, he's gonna be subject of this police investigation. This is when they're gonna find that Shanann's car is still in the garage, her purse, keys, wallet, phone, and the children's medication and car seats are all still at the residence. And by the day of August 14th, so by the next day, this is going to become a nationwide story. And I know there's a lot of discussion in this country about which stories get the most attention. 
and there were complaints that this was a pregnant middle-class woman that was missing and her children and that got more attention than women that went missing that were not white or were not middle class and that's not a discussion I'm going to have here I think all cases of missing people in general whether it be a woman or a man or whatever race religion sexual orientation that person is deserves to have the full attention of law enforcement and the public looking for these people and it's something that I hope that we can work our way through in society what was interesting was a year or so after this incident, I attended a, a training, and it was a statement analysis training, whether it be a written statement or oral statement that's given to investigators at the time of either arrest or just an investigation. There are certain things to look for to see if people are lying, and there's the, the common things, body language and where they look with their eyes and stuff, but this training was actually more about the subconscious thought patterns that will then be detectable either by what the person says or what the person writes. And when it comes to lying, for whatever reason, the way it was explained in this training is that people who are going to lie often use the number three or will repeat things three times. And it's Belief have been based on the idea that people may not believe something if it happens once or twice, but they'll believe it if it happens three times. And so to overcome that, when, when somebody is lying, they will say they did something three times or, or say what they did three times in order to convince someone. And in this case, I watched the, the, one of the interviews that Chris Watts gave while his or the fall the day after the missing persons report and he says in that uh, interview he said he called shanann about three times and texted shan about three times so it's just an interesting number to use i think if my significant other was missing the the actual number would probably be much higher uh, on both of those numbers so i don't know if it's something where he didn't do it at all and he's claiming he did it three times, or if he did it a whole bunch of times, he's only saying he did it three times. It was just interesting that he brought this this up. And this, this was part of the training, is the uh, instructor actually used this case to highlight it. So I had to go back and watch the interview, and, and sure enough, I saw him uh, use the number three on a couple different occasions. So meanwhile, while uh, on this next day, this August 14th, Nicole is obviously aware of what's going on this is the woman that he's dating not Shanann's friend Nicole Nicole is obviously aware of what's going on seeing the news seeing him on the news and she's immediately concerned she starts to realize something very bad could have happened and there's reports out there that she did some google searches in regards to the Lacey and Scott Peterson case which involved a very similar situation minus the children um, where there was a an affair and most people believe that the husband Scott Peterson was involved in the disappearance and murder of Lacey Peterson and the the woman that was, he was having the affair with 
went on to become very infamous in terms of everybody knowing who she was and there's issues with if she made too much money off of interviews and book deals and all that kind of stuff when people believe she's part of the reason why Lacey Peterson was murdered. Anyway, all of this stuff is going through Cole's head and apparently there were some Google searches in reference to the woman in the Lacey Peterson case. And she's even going, Nicole's even going as far as to ask Chris the same questions police are asking in regards to why is the vehicle still there? Why would CeCe's EpiPen still be there? Why, why is the phone still there? Because to person applying common sense to the situation, none of these items should be there if Shanann decided to take the girls and leave and go somewhere. And Nicole continues to have a sinking feeling in regards to the situation. So on August 15th, Nicole's going to come forward to the police and tell them about the affair she's been having with Chris Watts. She agrees to meet with the investigators and the FBI and tells them what Chris has been telling her, both before Shanann and the girls went missing and since. At the same time, police are investigating Chris very closely. They've they've since viewed the security video showing only Chris leaving the residence that day, making it impossible for his story about he left and the Shanann and the girls girls were still in the house to match up. And based on the information provided by Nicole and the evidence that they have they call Chris Watts in and he agrees to take a polygraph test and he fails his polygraph test. Now, in the meantime, of course, Chris's parents have flown to Colorado because their daughter-in-law and their grandchildren are missing and they're there to support Chris. And the police decide at this point Chris still denies any involvement, but he's failed the polygraph. All the evidence is pointed towards him being involved. And so they have his dad sit down with him and talk with him to see if he'll tell his dad what happened. Eventually, he comes up with a story to his father that he walked... He walked in on Shanann smothering their children. She had smothered both girls, and in a fit of rage, he lost it and killed Shanann. And then he felt bad that Shanann would get a negative image on her, as well as the fact that he had committed a murder by killing Shanann, that he decided to cover the whole thing up by taking their bodies to a work site and disposing of them there. Then gives the same confession and the same story to the officers and the FBI. The work site would be searched and Shanann's body along with the now deceased Nico were found in a shallow grave at the work site. Bella and Cece were found in separate large oil storage tanks. They were both deceased. 
I want to take a second to step aside and talk about this confession. It's very convenient for Chris to make this confession to his father because he knows that his father has negative feelings towards Shanann. So I believe it's easier for Chris to come forward and say, I didn't kill the girls, but I killed Shanann because she killed the girls. And that by doing so, he gets some of the guilt off of him and gets a sympathetic ear at the same time because he believes this is the only way that his father would accept what he did. And then he just ends up repeating this for the police. While police can't prove otherwise at this point, they are still going to suspect that Chris Watts killed all four members of the Watts family. So he is arrested and charged on August 15th. But we'll discuss later on what was kind of going on between this August 15th date and the date of his second confession. He's going to meet with some lawyers, he's going to meet with his family, and they're going to decide how to proceed with this. Chris states he ultimately in the end he wants to just put an end to all of this and he wants to come clean and say what happened. Uh, at the time the death penalty was in play in Colorado for this case and there was discussion that that is something that Chris wanted to avoid and I think that goes back to uh, the Superbike murders and how the death penalty can often be a deterrent for criminals to take stuff to trial, whether that is in some people's eyes a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, in this case, it seemed, again, to be something that worked in the favor of the investigation. Now, it would also come out later that Shanann's family was against the death penalty for Chris, just because they felt like enough death had occurred as a result of this, this incident and they didn't want any more death. So, and it should also be noted that since this time, November of 2018, the death penalty has been abolished in Colorado. So, it, again, would be interesting to be able to have a time machine and, and obviously if I had a time machine, I'd go back and I'd save the Watts family in the first place. But if we're just talking about being able to get inside Chris's head at the time he's making this decision whether to take this to trial and risk the death penalty or plead out. It'd be interesting if the death penalty was not on the table, would he have tried his luck? Because we'll talk about it later. There were some defenses that were going to be tr going to be brought up if he went to trial that, while I don't believe they would have been successful, it would have created a somewhat circus-style atmosphere, I feel, in the courtroom. But ultimately, on November 6th, 2018, Chris is going to agree to a plea deal, and as a part of that plea deal, he needs to make a full confession as to what happened on August 13th. So he makes this full confession. He says that on the night of the murders, everything that he said in the initial confession is accurate at the time at which Shanann returns home. He says she returns home a little before two. At two, she climbs into bed. They have sex. 
they fall asleep, but then he says when the alarm goes off for him to get up and go off, go to work, he has a change of heart and feels that he needs to tell Shanann. He says that he didn't feel any emotional attachment to Shanann during the sex, and he realized at this point it was time to tell Shanann that he wanted to leave the marriage. He said Shanann became extremely upset and threatened to take everything from him, the children, the house, all the money, everything, and leave him with nothing. He said this caused him to just snap, and he made some strange comments about Artie having been straddling her at this time, and he later said this was just how he got in and out of the bed. I couldn't really picture a scenario in which he's deciding to straddle her and then tell her that he doesn't want to be with her anymore. So, I again, we always have to take these confessions, whether it be part of a plea agreement or not, with a grain of salt when it comes to whether or not they're the full truth. But he does say that as she's threatening to take everything from him, he loses it and he strangles her, and it takes about two to four minutes, but he strangles her until he is sure that she is dead, at which point Bella walks in the room and asks what's wrong with her mommy. Chris, at this point, does not seem like he has any real plan and no way to deal with the children's knowledge of this incident as he wrapped Shanann's body up in bed sheets and carried her out and put her in the kind of the rear back seat area of the truck of his work truck he then woke up Cece since Bella was already up and he loaded the girls into the truck uh, they were sitting in the back seat I guess the, the truck did not have car seats for him but he just had him sitting on the bench seat back there the girls were complaining that there was a bad smell which was likely related to the death process with their mother. And Chris said it was about a 40 or 45 minute drive out to this work site. And he really kept saying that he really didn't have a plan. He didn't know what he was going to do. But when he gets there, all their trucks have basic tools, shovels, rakes, and that kind of stuff for maintenance work on these work sites. So he gets a shovel out of the back of the truck and dug the shallow grave said he then returned to the vehicle and smothered Cece while Bella watched. He then carried Cece's body up to the oil, one of the oil tanks and dropped it in. He then returned to the truck and did the same to Bella and then dropped her in the other oil tank. He later admitted that he thought that the girls' bodies would dissolve in the oil tanks. But there was a part in the research that talked about one of the tools, the, the shovel possibly broke at the end of burying Shanann so that he didn't have a, a way to dig shallow graves for the girls so that he chose, you know, the only other way to hide the bodies was to put them in these oil tanks. So it, it kind of all comes down to how much you want to believe what Chris is saying and his motivations behind what he was doing. One thing that was noted was that after killing his his wife, his pregnant wife and his two girls, Chris drove to a gas station and bought some breakfast. 
and then continued on to work as if nothing happened. Some important things to note, I mentioned it earlier, but or in the, the last episode, when asked what things other than not killing his family would he have done differently, Chris did say he wished he had talked to more people about what was going on with him and Nicole because he felt that by keeping it just to himself, obviously there was no voice of reason whatsoever. So had he told his buddy Mark, had he told his father what was going on, maybe somebody might have knocked some sense into him and he would have broke things off from Nicole and focused back on his marriage, at which point he obviously wouldn't have been telling Shanann that he wanted to leave, and so he doesn't believe he would have ever murdered them. Now, the other thing that was kind of interesting in terms of his what he confessed afterwards was that he, he did tell people that he wished that Shanann hadn't left for that trip for so long and that he hadn't been left alone. Now, again, nobody's going to give him any pity, especially myself, in regards to this. He, he was a grown man. He made his own decisions. It's just interesting that he thinks... And if you look at it, it's just one of those, the stars aligned, and in this case, unfortunately, the wrong way for him to have been in a situation where it's obviously very possible he wasn't happy in his marriage before he ever met Nicole, but meeting Nicole at the time that he did, right before he's going to be left as with no husband or father responsibilities for a month, he was able to dive headfirst into this relationship with Nicole. And then, you know, by the time he's back as a father and a husband, and it also should be noted that on this long trip is when all the issues with the nut allergy occurred as well. So had she not been on this trip or has been on this trip as long, or had he been out there for that part of the trip, Maybe, again, things could have been differently. It just When you look at it, it's just an absolute unfortunate series of events that all led to the point where he made the, the, the terrible and unforgivable decision that he did. But if you remove just a few parts of uh, just a few of those unfortunate events, it does leave one to wonder, you know, if we'd be even talking about this case today if, you know, things had just worked out differently. But we'll break down the crime scenes now, what investigators would have probably looked for in each of these scenes. Uh, ultimately, again, I, I, I realize now I'm picking a lot of cases that had plea deals, so we're, we haven't yet really got into a, a trial where this evidence is going to be presented or argued, but uh, eventually we will. We will, we will get there um, at some point uh, in one of these cases. But the interesting thing with this case is I, I wonder how much... Chris did with the house after he killed Shanann because according to his timeline and again we're going off of his timeline because that's all we have you know he kills Shanann shortly or around 5 a.m. and the video shows him leaving with a truck which would have been with Shanann's body and the girls a little after 5 a.m. so he does not have a lot of time to clean up a scene. Now, a strangulation is not going to have the cleanup required of a stabbing or a shooting or a major, some type of an assault, major disturbance. But he hauled Shanann out on bed sheets, 
were those still off the bed when the police were searching his house later that day? I, I don't, I don't know what they'd be looking at. But obviously, it, in this case, what we're often looking for on crime scenes is what the suspect left behind. Since the husband lives here, there's not a whole lot of what was left behind or what what a suspect would leave there. It's actually in this case, as we talked about, it's more what items were at the scene that shouldn't have been there based on the circumstances which was her phone wallet all of those items the car so that would be more of what the investigators and crime scene technicians would be looking for is to rule out that she just up and left you're finding all these items photographing them documenting them and making sure that the picture is pretty clear that this is not the normal behavior of someone who's going to up and leave with uh, with two of their children now the truck even though the truck didn't have car seats for the girls i'd find it hard to believe that shanann and the girls had not been in that truck before so again if if this had gone all the way to trial and he was going to argue that it was wasn't me wasn't there argument it was some other person came into the house and, and did this and left took took his wife and kids the fact that you're going to find hair and and dna and that kind of stuff in his truck is likely not going to further the case very much but the truck would still be processed just the same and and who knows what would have been found even the tools in the truck because uh, one thing that we haven't gotten into yet that does come up in some cases is this was a remote scene in which the bodies were dumped if he was going to say he wasn't wasn't him wasn't there a lot of the times you have things like soil analysis and that could be from the tools and from the tires from the truck itself whatever it may be the problem with this case again is he drove them to a work site where that truck would have had every reason to have been there at some point in time those tools are designed to have been used in that work site so anything that any soil samples or anything like that on those tools is going to be explained away by the fact that that's the work site now had he driven the the bodies to some location that would not be explained away by work there's i guess a possibility that in a wasn't me wasn't their situation that that stuff would come into play but ultimately, I think this case, what we're, what we're seeing and what, what is out there is this case is another example of where evidence is going in the 21st century, and that's the computer forensics of this. So that's going to be his work phone, his personal phone, anything on Shanann's phone, Nicole's phone. I'm sure she turned that over to authorities, although I read somewhere that she had wiped a lot of her phone before she turned it over. But all of those things, Google searches, we there was some information out there about the Google searches that Nicole did. I'm sure there's, there's plenty of Google searches that Chris did during that month of July while Shanann and the girls were in North Carolina that, that would have come up in trial if there was one. And the bodies themselves, if this was a, a whodunit or wasn't me, wasn't their case, there would have been evidence as part of the autopsies to either prove or disprove what Chris said could or couldn't have happened but as I mentioned earlier there's there was no trial for this so skip the trial altogether we'll just go right to sentencing 
So with the plea deal and the full support of Shanann's family, I mentioned the death penalty was off the table. Ultimately, Chris Watts pleads guilty to the three murders, an unlawful termination of the pregnancy, and three charges of tampering of the dead body. So for the murders, he receives three consecutive and two concurrent life sentences. And if you don't know, consecutive means one after the other, and concurrent means running at the same time. So the, and the difference is pretty big. If you have five consecutive life sentences, that means you have to complete one life sentence before the next one begins. Whereas if you had five concurrent life sentences, there's a possibility since they're all running at the same time that you could actually be eligible for parole or that sentence if, if life wherever you are is 20 years or 30 years or 40 years. If you're young when you go in on, on five concurrent life sentences, there's a chance you could see freedom. Whereas if you go in somewhere where it's five consecutive life sentences, your chances of ever seeing the outside world are, are next to none. So just a sidebar there, but he gets the, the three consecutive and two concurrent with no possibility of parole. So he's already not seeing the outside world, but he gets another 48 years for the, the killing of unborn Nico and 36 years for the tampering with the three body bodies. So those are just kind of, I'm guessing the maximum sentences thrown on top of already maximum sentences because there's no point in minimalizing the sentences and you might as well just maximize them at that point. So on note, this is kind of crazy how all these cases run or have similarities with each other. But on December 3rd of 2018, so this is less than a month after he pled guilty, he was moved from Colorado to Wisconsin due to security issues. Just like the Jake Patterson, the uh, suspect in the Jamie Kloss uh, investigation, because he committed his crimes against children, even though they're his own children, Chris is considered kind of the lowest of the low at, in prison. And he has to be housed. Like his roommate in prison is another child killer. They cannot trust putting him in a cell uh, with somebody else who is not a child killer. So in the case of Jake Patterson, he went from Wisconsin to New Mexico to avoid security issues. And in this case, uh, Chris Watts goes from Colorado to Wisconsin to avoid the security issues. Although, again, both of their cases were so well known and so out there in the media that I can't imagine that whatever prison they end up at, they're not going to be running into these quote-unquote security issues with these guys. So, As for Nicole, the a woman that Chris dated for the month that Shanann and the girls were gone. She has apparently changed her name and moved out of Colorado and has not made any public appearances and by all accounts appears to have stayed off radar since this incident in 2018. Now it has helped her, I guess, in the terms that there was no trial because she's not going to be called as a witness. She's not going to end up on... Uh, you know, any national news syndicates or anything like that as a witness in these trials and she's not going to have to keep making public appearances for court reasons whereas because he pled and there, she can just kind of go away and, and hopefully you know she's able to find whatever piece she needs to find now I do want to take a second to talk about Chris Watts because it's thankfully not going to be very often that we talk about a what we they've been termed family annihilators somebody who kills 
their spouse and all their children wipes out their entire family in one incident so when we do have a chance to talk about them they usually tend they are usually going to end up being a little different in terms of their of something in their background than say the serial killers they're likely not going to have the mcdonald triangle that's that's found in serial killers or violent offenders so i just want to break down who he was and so we can discuss that by all accounts appears he had a normal childhood i said he was the baby of the family he had an older sister and then it was him and by all accounts his older sister was the outgoing and very personable very popular one and he was the very withdrawn quiet uh, not very many friends uh, one and so sometimes siblings are alike and sometimes the siblings are complete opposites in this case uh, a lot of people said they were complete opposites now this is where we're going to get into a little discussion in regards to helicopter parenting now what's interesting is i saw a lot of back and forths and different articles on who's to blame for chris's behavior because as i said earlier Shanann definitely seemed to have a domineering personality just based on her Facebook posts and just some of the things that, that, uh, that'll come up here in a little bit, but apparently so did Chris's mother. So there's actually arguments on sites on who was the quote unquote helicopter parent. Was it Chris's mother or was it Shanann? And I kind of wanted just to say, I think it's both. And I think Chris found himself, you know, attracted to somebody like a motherly figure to him, somebody that would make decisions for him, would run his life, because apparently when when Chris and Shanann met, Chris was still living with his parents. Again, he's not a very outgoing person, he's not a very go-get-it-on-his-own type of person, so it sounds like he was, or he had been raised with someone kind of watching over him, making his decisions, and that's what he ended up with, with Shanann. At least, again, this is just my take on things. I could be completely wrong, but this is just how I read into stuff as I, as I researched this. And that's not to say that I think either Chris's mother or Shanann are responsible for what Chris did. I'm just saying it's, it's very interesting to see that the personalities of Chris's mother and of Shanann were so close, and I think that's why there were so many issues between the two of them, that both of them saw Chris as kind of their person to protect and their person to you know, keep under their wing, and you, two people can't do that at the same time, and I, I think that led to the clash, and I think that you know them moving to Colorado was a blow to Chris's mother, which by all means, I'm not saying that that was the wrong move. He's an adult and he wants to start a family and he's married. He can do what he wants to do. I just think that that the personalities of both Chris's mother and Shanann resulted in their that conflict was never going to go away. And I think this is further proven by his relationship with Nicole when he was interviewed after the crimes and he's had time to reflect on it he said when he was with Shanann he never got to make decisions he just his whole life was controlled it seems like Shanann definitely was one that was the socializer and made all the plans and he just went along with it and 
when he met Nicole, Nicole was this much more free-spirited, let's do what you want to do, let's just have fun. And he just felt probably for one of the first times in his life that he was able to just be who he wanted to be. Now, there was nothing stopping him from leaving Shanann and the girls and starting his life with Nicole, if that's what he really wanted. There's absolutely zero excuse for what he did. And just because Shanann threatened to take the kids and the house and the money does not mean that he couldn't have then made the choice between the two. Many people do this every single day, decide to leave their spouses and at the risk of losing money and access to children and all that kind of stuff and don't kill their families. However, I don't know that that was actually the reason why Chris did what he did because just getting rid of Shanann and the kids is not going to allow him to have a relationship with Nicole as she was well aware that, that Shanann and the kids existed and that Shanann was pregnant. So there's no story that Chris could have concocted to explain to Nicole where all of a sudden Shanann and, and the girls are. Another point in this marriage that Chris would later say was causing issues was when I mentioned that Shanann was on this trip to Arizona, she was one of these private sales consultants that work for one of these companies. And back in the day, it was mainly Tupperware that women would sell part-time on their own and they'd earn a commission on how much they sold. And and today there's hundreds of these companies out there. And the one that Shanann was working for was called Thrive. And it was a weight loss supplement style company that sold these weight loss patches and pills and different things that were supposedly natural and healthy to assist in your weight loss. Now, Chris, by all accounts, is a pretty athletic guy. There's several pictures of him online with his shirt off and he does not have a dad bod on him. Definitely seems like he's a guy that liked to work out and obviously that was a point of contention between him and and Shanann was how much he did like to work out. So he was wearing these Thrive patches and taking the pills, and, and then he was kind of her model for selling this stuff. With And she would post these videos of him online with his shirt off or pictures of him or something along those lines, and he would later state that he didn't want to do any of this stuff, that this was all Shanann wanting him to do it. And it kind of goes back to that controlling and domineering side that she seemed to show through Facebook and, and that Chris complained about in the relationship. And there would actually be later discussion when I mentioned there was some defenses that his family or his lawyers wanted him to, to take to trial if he went to trial. And one of the defenses was going to be that this, these supplements and these patches was making him lose his mind. He did state that when he was wearing a patch one of the times it felt like he had drank a whole bunch of cups of coffee and his heart was racing and wouldn't stop. And 
there was other times when he was because of the patches or pills he's he was not able to sleep and as i said earlier he worked really early in the morning so when you're having problems falling asleep at night but yet you're getting up at four or five in the morning trying to operate on three or four hours of sleep is very difficult so there there's times when i guess nicole would actually say later on that he would just fall asleep on the couch as he was in the middle of talking with her or as she's talking and it was something he couldn't even control so there was going to be potentially an argument brought up in trial that these thrive patches were making or making him function in a way that wasn't normal so it was almost going to be some type of an insanity defense the other defense that he was going to use was this emotionally battered spouse syndrome defense where he was going to claim that he had been beaten down so much by her domineering personality and that he just had to do everything she told him that he had to do that he just you know lost it in a in a moment of of passion and anger and there was some evidence for some of this stuff if you look at her text messages about her not allowing him to talk to his family and that just makes you think there was a lot of stuff going on behind closed doors in terms of what she was telling him he could and could not do but again this doesn't excuse him from from taking her life and none of this explains why then he would have taken both of his children's lives especially if his main threat was Shanann and he had already taken care of that by killing her so ultimately, he just decides he's not going to use any of his defenses. He's not going to fight it in court. He just wants it to be over with. There's nothing he can do to change the fact that Shanann isn't around anymore and, and neither are his girls and Nico is never going to be born. So he decides he just needs to face his punishment and, and go off to prison. And that's where he is today. Now... If I had to name a hero in this story, the one person I have to pick out that kind of did something above and beyond is going to be uh, Shanann's friends. I know one was the, the the other Nicole, this Nicole Atkinson, and I think she had another friend with her that day, Cassie, I think it was referred to in one of the articles, but I couldn't find much more information there. But these women knew Shanann very well. They knew that things weren't right in the marriage and they knew that on the day that Shanann went missing the thing, you know, things were still not right at all. And not that I think the outcome would have been vastly different if a police investigation had been delayed in this case, but I definitely think that through their quick actions in contacting the police to do the check welfare and noticing the things they did that it really eliminated any chance for Chris to muddy the waters in the investigation any further than he already had because he was still at work when Atkinson said she was going to contact the police so he has to rush home and again, I don't know how much time he would have had in this house before the police arrived, but no matter what, he clearly didn't have time to stage anything as if Shanann and the girls just left. Had he had appropriate time, and I'm not trying to spell out how to 
do a murder here. Any of the information I provide in these podcasts is not intended for anybody to use to get away with the crime. Uh, in today's world of technology and forensics, it's almost impossible to com- to commit the perfect crime anyway. But if he wanted to make the investigation a lot harder or take a lot longer, if he had had the time to load up all of Shanann's stuff and make it look like she was going on a trip, even an emergency emergency trip of sorts with the girls, and Shanann's car was missing, which would have had the car seats packed up with the purse, the fo- you know turned the phone off, Shanann's phone off, but put it in the car, the the medications, clothing for the girls, clothing for Shanann. Had he staged it all and driven the car somewhere? where it could have been hidden or destroyed or something along those lines, then police would have had to have taken into account the chance that Shanann just left. And again, the security video isn't of the quality. It's it's not at the Watts residence. The security video would just show movement up in the corner of it when somebody was coming and going. So there would have been no way for police to tell whether or not it was Chris driving away or Shanann driving away with the girls. So Chris could have, if if given time, Chris could have staged an elaborate ruse of Shanann and the girls leaving, but being that Nicole Atkinson and her friend were so quick to get the police involved while Chris was still at work, Chris was forced to come home and just kind of make up some type of a story without any time to actually produce evidence that that story could even be true. So I'll give credit where credit's due, and and the friends of Shanann here in this case definitely turned what could have been weeks or months-long investigation into something that was where answers were discovered in, in a matter of days. So that's it for the tragic story of the Watts family. I appreciate everybody sticking around for both episodes and stay tuned we have future episodes coming down the pike here very soon i'm still going to be taking requests for any episodes so if there's a murder case out there or a true crime case right now i'm focusing mainly on solved ones Uh, down the road i may either start a second podcast of unsolved cases or interject a unsolved case every once in a while into the lineup here but if you have any requests for specific cases i'm looking more for cases that are not as well known to to cover further down in the year ahead but i'll take any suggestions and if i can find the case and do any amount of research on it i'll put together a podcast so you can reach me at productions at gmail.com if you have that request and as always if you can rate review and like the Facebook page and support me on Patreon. It'd be greatly appreciated. So that's it for today's episode and the the end of the Watts family murder episodes of the podcast. Everybody have a great day. Talk to you later. Bye.